Welcome to Grazy Her's Life on the Land podcast summer series, where members of the Grazy Her team pick their favourite podcast episode from the last 12 months. Hope you enjoy another look at these amazing stories. Hello, I'm Jane Cudahy and I produce the Life on the Land podcast. The best part of my job is listening to all the fascinating conversations our hosts Sammy and Em have had all year. The rural women of Australia are a formidable bunch, but Sammy's conversation with Wendy Henning has really stayed with me. Wendy is the Queensland president of the ICPA, or Isolated Children's Parents Association, and if you hadn't heard of them, look them up. They are the bee's knees. However, it's Wendy's attitude that's impressive. In a world where being busy is a badge of honour, Wendy's mantra is that if it's important, then you'll make time. There's no airs or graces or excuses, it's just get on with it. She's also got a sewing habit that totally resonates with me too. So without further ado, here's Sammy's conversation with Wendy Henning. Welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling the stories of women living across regional, rural and remote Australia. I'm Sammy O'Brien, your host for today's episode. Our guest today is Wendy Henning. How Wendy fits it all into one day is a mystery to me. Wendy and husband Andrew live at their farm, Murchison Park in Glen Morgan. Together, they run their cattle and mixed cropping business. In Wendy's own words, they are in the middle of everywhere, but not quite anywhere. Two hours to Gundy, two hours to Roma, two hours to Dolby and an hour and three quarters to St. George. With four daughters now having flown the coop, Wendy is busier than ever. She's the ICPA, or the Isolated Children's Parents Association, State Council President, and volunteers well over 70 hours a week to the organisation. Wendy, you are a very, very busy woman. You have a wonderful mantra, which is, if you want to do it, you'll fit it in. So how do you prioritise your work and your family and your volunteering? Sammy, I um, am very fortunate um, that, like you and I, we've got 24 hours in a day. And I always think that if I want to do something, if it's really important to me, then I just need to work out a way to make it work. And I'm very fortunate to have the best supporters in the world. I've got um, my husband and my four girls that also always say, you'll be right, mum, you can do it. So that's always in the back of my mind. Some days it just doesn't work and there's no holding it together. Some days you don't want to see the kitchen bench or even actually, you know, be very grateful that you can turn a camera off in Zoom. But my mind never turns off. And if I can't sleep, then I don't lay idly thinking about it. Then I do get up and that's where I do a lot of things. And I've always done that. You know, the bass might be done at two o'clock in the morning, but um, I can fit it in if I'm going to do it. There are always some things that don't get done. And over the years we've learnt, you know, what's important and what's not important. So um, that's how I just try to shuffle it around. And, you know, there's I'm meticulous with calendar organising um, and setting reminders and following a list. So that's just what I try to do to keep my mind clear along the way as well. You travel an extraordinary amount as well. So that's, you know, another added layer to what you're already doing. And that's mainly because of your um, volunteer work. And now obviously your girls have left home. So that's something else that you're traveling for. How do you prioritize your life, I guess? 
the girls have always been naturally the farm business because that is our livelihood, is our priority. But then it was the girls. And we made that decision very early on when we started our family that um, we were fortunate enough to be able to have our family. And so therefore they were our priority. And I wanted to make sure when I had them that I was going to be able to raise young citizens who could contribute to society but were also adaptable. I didn't want them to be these little country kids that couldn't fit in. So that was that's it. That's what we needed to make work. Um, so a lot of planning, a lot of logistics, a lot of distance doesn't phase us. Um, the girls are all good travellers um, and we think nothing of getting in a car now. And I actually, I've, I've never resented travelling. I find it a very precious time because so often, particularly during teenage years and all those sorts of things, it was opportunity for conversation. You can't be cleaning the house. You can't fold the washing, be in the yards or anything while you're in a car. So it's it's conversation, it's talking. And, you know, if I'm on my own, then it's also the opportunity when you're in mobile service to make phone calls and do all those sorts of things. So I just use it to the best of my ability while we're travelling. And, you know, there's always something to see out the window. So why not look for the rainbows? Oh, you're amazing, Wendy. (laughs) What was it like for you (laughs) bringing up four girls in the country? How was that? I loved it. I always say I think I hit my element once I became the mother of four um, and I loved one, three, five and seven were the perfect age group and um, I, I still had some sort of control over, you know, clothing, food and all those sorts of things as well. But I can paint it with rose-coloured glasses but, you know, as any of us, once you're a mum, it comes with so much more along the way. I've had four really different young ladies um, who I'm lucky enough to call my own. And, you know, there's been um, s- some bumpy roads along the way, and but there's been some also pleasure. But we, we've just revelled in every moment. I feel truly privileged to be a mum. I never knew if I could be a mum. And then once I was, I have just grasped it and, and it, it's my proudest name that I hold. So, um We've, we've made it work along the way and now I really like them. <laughs> <laughs> what are your four beautiful girls doing at the moment? Okay, so my eldest is um, Annabelle, or we call her Bella, and she has moved closer to us now. She's only two and a half hours away. She's nannying um, station hand for a family and looking after two little children and um, helping out there. Then our second daughter, Kate, has just returned from two years being up in North Queensland and she's actually in Brisbane at QUT doing primary teaching and living on campus and living her very best university life. Then our third daughter, Peggy, uh, she graduated last year and she's a station hand this year between Camerwheel and Gregory with the thought of one year, but let's be realistically, it'll probably be two years of a gap year before she comes home and starts her electrical um, apprenticeship. So um, that's a bit exciting. I'm really excited about that because we all know how hard it is to get an electrician. And then our fourth daughter, Jane, um, who we call our perfect full stop, she is um, in year 11 and she's still at boarding school. So she's just finishing her schooling and then the world will be her oyster as well. Wendy, how far did you used to have to travel and you still have to travel uh, to see your girls play school sports or maybe be in the school play? What was that sort of travel time like for you? When the girls were in primary school, we were so lucky, Sam. 
um, they just went to our local primary school, um, a little school called Tilba State School, and it's only 15 k's up the road. So it, it's a school in a paddock. It's got a gun club and um, that's it beside it. There's no, there's no town or anything as such. But to do sport, we used to travel an hour, hour and a half for any sport with that. Um, and the girls all did do club sport. We'd go to Gundawindi, which is two hours for them to do netball. And we tried soccer at one stage as well. And we'd drive um, two, two and a half hours for soccer. And then once they went away to school, once we made the big decision of where we would send them, it's a six hour drive for us to do that. Um, and Annabelle will tell you as the eldest, that's one visit once a term week five as a firstborn child oh. and Jane will tell you if you make a sporting team mum and dad will bend over backwards to be there whenever they can. So a six-hour drive for secondary school to see really yeah. anything that the girls are doing. Yeah and I, I consider myself a very fortunate parent to only have that six-hour drive to do it you know there are ones that live interstate or really up in you know really adversely isolated areas that don't get that opportunity but I've always known that if there was really something that one of us needed to be there for to see the girls, we could actually make it work and we could get there. You know, it doesn't always guarantee that they'll get mum and dad, but um, if it's really important to them, um, then we will try our very best. I mean, COVID was absolutely fantastic when we then suddenly got the um, accessibility to virtual thing, but there's nothing to replace being there and being able to give them a hug and experience that joy firsthand. Things must be so different in your household now that you have an empty house. That must have all happened actually quite quickly. It did happen really quickly. It seemed one day, you know, there was absolute chaos and it's always food and washing and, um, you know, running them somewhere and doing something and then suddenly they're all here, there and everywhere. Um, and, and I think you get a different perspective even once I've left school because you no longer even have those, um, the reassurance of school holidays, that they'll be home again. But um, I, do, I do find um, the house is very big. Um, the ABC radio podcasts or music are always playing in the background here because I find the house very, very quiet once they've all returned. And um, I am, I'm a very sentimental person, so... Once they go away, I I can never go straight into their room and give it the mum once over because that's then just accepting that, you know, you've got a whole term ahead. So I, I need to be gentle on myself for a little while once they've gone and then um, clean their room up and make it look like it should um, <laughs> and like you'll let people walk through the house and, and remove all that evidence of um, teenage um, lifestyle. <laughs> But the house is very small and initially when they went, you know, Andrew and I would spend a lot of time saying, I wonder what the girls are doing. But then you fill the days in and, and I think um, we we really tried then um, to fill as much into our days as well so that then when we did get the opportunity to get away, we could make sure going to the girls was was where we would head. Now, Wendy, the wonderful work that you do with ICPA, did that all come about once your girls started going to school? How did that all start? Yeah, so I had been an ICPA member ever since I became a mum in 2000. Um, And way back when I was at school, one of the girls I'd gone to boarding school with, her dad was actually a Queensland president. So I'd always known what ICPA was, but um, then once I became a mum and I became a member, 
and then when Annabelle was little, it was when PrEP was being introduced into schools in Queensland and um, it became a really big interest area for me because that was going to affect um, not her, but at that stage, um, the other three girls as well. So it became my interest. And then um, as they were all going through their primary schooling, they all learned in very different ways. And we had adversity, with, particularly with one of our girls, with, um, with learning. And I had gone through all different sorts of steps to try and probably right an injustice that I could see within the system and it spurred a fire and I just knew that if I couldn't advocate for my daughter, um, then nobody else was really going to do it. And um, so that's when it stepped in and I just loved and reveled in in ICPA, in its thoroughness and and what it can do and the credibility of the organisation as well. And, and you know, it's it's that not only just helping your own children but knowing that there mightn't be a direct benefit for at that point in time, but you hope no other families then have to go through and have that same adversity. So that's what's been my biggest draw card. And then it was also very good because it filled a hole. Um, once Annabelle had gone to boarding school, it was helped me with the weaning process and the separation from the other three of mum always being there 24-7 and because um, I was working at the local primary school as well that they were attending. And um, and me also then coming back and having an outside interest, and um, and and filling my my um, bucket with something else other than just farm and girl life, but it still was contributing to them in the long run. Can you tell me exactly how the ICPA works? Yeah, it's a unique unique organisation, Sammy. So it's in its fifty second year. Um, and when you become an ICPA member, it, you, it's a three-tier level of membership. So you join your local branch. And when I say local branch, so particularly here in Queensland, it might be um, one near where you reside. Or for a lot of the families where distances are large, they're um, branches of the air, so they, they don't come together physically to meet. Um, you know, it's through their schools of distance education often is where their um, catchment areas are. So I joined our local branch um, and then I, you know, with that become a Queensland state member as well. And then you also, um, every member becomes um, a member of the federal organisation. So it's the three tiers of lobby and your local branches lobby for, um, you know, they, they are the conduit. They get to know the areas that are happening educationally for their members locally. They also fundraise so members can go to conferences and do those sorts of things. There's a lot that organise sports camps and, you know, it's that opportunity that, that parents can see that their kids need. State-wise, we, we lobby for all state um, issues to do with inequity of education if you live rural and remote. And that's what it's about. We don't want more. We don't... We, we don't ask for any more than what our urban counterparts. We just want our kids to be able to access an education regardless of where they live and where we've decided to live. So that's the main driving passion. And then federally, it's because, you know, let's face it, education's got to be funded. So it's where there's those big overarching decisions, often with a monetary basis um, coming out of federal government as well. So that's the three tiers of um, ICPA. and 
the amazing organisation that I'm now very fortunate to be an active part of. It sounds absolutely incredible, Wendy. And have you had any big wins recently or have there has there been anything that's stood out to you that you've gone, oh, my gosh, okay, this is why we do, this is why we do what we do? Yeah, so we've just fresh off our um, conference in Queensland, which we just recently held in Julia Creek. And a motion that's been brought forward from branches all around Queensland for many years is when children go away to boarding, um, you receive a state allowance as well as a federal allowance to help families um, access boarding school because it doesn't matter if it's a state-run a boarding facility or an independent-run facility, there are costs associated with it um, and two strands of that through tuition and then also boarding. So in Queensland, the um, state government depart, um, allowance is called the LAFIS, um, which is living away from home allowance, but it actually contributes to the tuition portion of your children's um, education when you have fit all these different sorts of criterias. Because in Queensland, we've got 12 shires in Queensland that don't actually have secondary schools. So, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not a luxury. This is decisions that we have to make because whilst there's always access to distance education, it doesn't always fit the need for every family. And going away and being immersed in a group and then being learning face-to-face, you get so many benefits um, and access to all those things that you can't actually do when you're living remotely. So we've been lobbying for an increase to that allowance because the disparity between what we were getting um, as an assistance from the state government for the tuition and actually then what the out-of-pocket fees was has been growing and growing and growing. And this year at the conference, it was announced announced there was going to be a $4,000 increase to that. It was just, it was quite overwhelming because that really does give families genuine choice about where they can send their children to be educated. And that's all we ask for is to be able to have access and have a choice. Um, you know, it's it's what a lot of people take for granted, but country people, it's, it is a really big decision that families need to make when they're educating their children. And a motion like that, how long did you lobby for that for before it came to fruition? So the last, yeah, the last significant increase was in 2015 um, at a conference wow. in Cloncurry. And there's been small increments over the years with what they call the CPI. And then um, during particular years of hardship of drought, there was um, some one-off drought payments as well. But So it's been from 2015 um, to this year that we've really been pushing hard. But, you know, as, as the cost of living is going up and all those sorts of things, it's just getting harder and harder for families. And, and it's harder and harder to attract people to come and work really to um and to then stay as their children enter secondary school it it was just becoming critical to an industry not just to our members but to the entire rural industry so we were just so heartened by this win and um and hope that you know families truly appreciate that so without something like the four thousand dollar a year increase would you have seen families just simply moving away from the country just because they couldn't afford to send their kids to a secondary school away? Yeah, they do. Um, 
you know, it, it's it's a significant um, cost because it's, it's not just your tuition and your boarding fees that make it up. You know, there's camps and excursions. And then if you want to go and visit your children, there's always accommodation and all those sorts of things, uniforms. And we all know that everybody loves a uniform for every sport, but that then comes with a cost for all of those things as well. So any relief is relief um, and that's just genuinely what it is. It, you can't look at it any other way. So, and this isn't welfare. This is this is assistance for something that these families cannot access. So that's why it was so heartening. And we, we do, we know of members that when it's come to, they might have two or three children, but as soon as it's the eldest child that's going into secondary school, the whole family moves away so that they can access it and not have to have those massive costs um, that implement the, impact the whole family, really. Yeah, this, gosh, organisation is just vital to rural and remote families, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's not just those boarding allowances as well. It's so vital in so many other ways. Um, you know, um, you're a mum yourself and you know how hard childcare is and all those sorts of things. And so that's what ICPA lobbies for. We don't, we start literally from the in-home care program, kindy, small schools, teacher education, and um, right up to tertiary. And then a particular interest of ours also is teacher education because that's where there's a shortfall and we need people that are prepared to learn to be a teacher and then come out into our rural and remote areas to educate our kids. So it's all, it, there's so many little buckets and um, and we've got our finger in every one of them. Yeah. Wendy, I know that it's this would be at the forefront of, you know, every family that's living remotely, but is something like this also important for you to communicate to an urban audience and for them to have an understanding of what's going on in the bush as well? I think it is. It's, um, you know, we're, we're very aware. Um, you just got to watch the news and you're always aware of what's happening in the city, but so often in rural areas, these aren't large um, cities. You don't have, you know, three year three classes and, you know, um, choices and choices of schools to attend. So we have um, small schools and multi age classrooms. If you've got a distance ed classroom and you're teaching your kids or you've got a govy in there with your children, they're multi age classrooms. And with that comes a different skill set. We, and everybody has different learning um, abilities and capabilities. So that's the same with teaching. And it just becomes a more evident um, when you come really remote how you need to have a diverse skill set. But also there is the, the remoteness of where you live. Um, if you want to be a teacher and you come out and if you came to the small school down my road, well, there's no post office. There's no pub. There's no shop. You get mailed twice a week. So that and technology, you and I all know, it doesn't matter where we live, is so vitally important. But you have a cloudy day and it doesn't matter what any provider says, it actually does affect your service. So there's all those sorts of things. So I think that's where it's so vital that we even, we need our city counterparts to actually know the different levels that we have to go to to ensure that our children are educated. And not just in the physical sense for them themselves, but also then there's the support for those teachers and that um, support services that are actually in school and makes that whole education work. 
Now, you do a lot of work, obviously, in the community, but what is it like for you to go to Parliament House in Canberra and meet with the ministers and discuss these issues? Is that daunting? Yes. So I have to confess, Sammy, I actually have, you wouldn't believe it, I've been on Federal Council for ICPA for two years and I haven't made a Canberra delegation yet. (laughs) One was due to flooding and then other situations that I couldn't go. But I know when I've even been to Parliament House in Brisbane and when I first went on to council in 2015, my first time of going to Education House and then Parliament House and you get a, have to get your driver's licence out and BID check to go in and you walk through the security and all those sorts of things. I don't think I could string a sentence together. <laughs> I had this permanent <laughs> stammer and redness of my neck and I was overawed. And I remember an Assistant Director General of Education just said, Wendy, we all wake up, we're all the same, we're no different from you. And I met with him for many years afterwards and he. Um, I, I always now try to remember that it's they're just normal people as well, but it still is It's pretty awesome, it's pretty special. And when you get actually into there and you see, you know, the officialness of it all um, and, and you go in and they actually are genuinely interested and... I think that's what I've loved so much is they are genuinely interested in our stories. We go so well researched. We don't, we're not just going down emotively. We are going down factually. And um, so they value our input and we can give them the real life perspective because policies can be set in glass houses, but that's not always what the reality is on the ground level. And that's what ICPA gives. They give the real life perspective and we can deliver our stories and the stories of our members. And it's pretty awesome, actually. It must be so satisfying once, you know, something that you've been working so, so hard on actually comes off. That must just be so incredible to be able to deliver that news to your incredible community. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, over the whole um, time of the organisation, there's been so many wins. And on the conference floor in Julia Creek, that's where, we were t- um, some of the older um, members were recognised with life membership and the certificates of appreciation. And they talk about the times where, you know, it was before there was computers and mobile phones and, um, and you know, they were having to um, ring people and it was only at certain times. And so we're very fortunate um, that we can get down there. And now we have this level of connectivity. But it doesn't matter. It still is the hours. And we are a volunteer organisation. So we are giving up our time from passion. And then when you get the wins, it really is the sweetest feel. And you get so excited. You just want to share it with everybody. And what's the reaction once you do get to share the this news at, you know, the conferences in front of hundreds and hundreds of people? What what are their reactions? Well, the particular one that we just had with the Lapis and Julia Creek, there was a standing ovation, there was claps, there was squeals and there was tears. Um, And you could just feel the emotion. And that's what it is. It it was that fact that you just genuinely know that this is going to change pathways for some kids and how they're going to get their education. A few years ago, um, the Queensland Government also implemented a... a, um, and created a facility called the Autism Hub. And we we call that a, a, an ICPA victory as well because for many, many years there were motions about supporting these children and suddenly there was this 
creation and access to um, a knowledge set and not just for students and teachers, but also for parents. And then over the coming years, the next five years, we didn't have any motions at all asking for support for these students because suddenly it had been filled and it didn't matter that these kids had to learn in a particular way. There was suddenly support. And we like to think that ICPA helped all those families as well. And, you know, yeah, you're pretty proud of it. Oh, isn't that fantastic? And I know that lots of the women on council volunteer um, well above 60 hours a fortnight and the hours that you put in are at least 70 to 80 and it's a huge role. Why is it so important for you to be the voice for rural mums and dads? I feel very humbled by it, Sammy. Um, I, I often question um, how I've ended up being here. It's not something I ever aspired to be. Um, and I often feel that ICPA has given me so much more than what I've given ICPA. But with it, I think I'm very fortunate at this point in time with my family support and the sta- age and stage I am with my family. It's allowed me to be able to have this, still have the passion and also the knowledge. Um, I wouldn't say capability because I'm learning skills every time, every day, and I've learned so much along the way. Sitting here talking to you is not what I could have done in 2015. So, um, And it's definitely ICPA that took me out of my comfort zone to be able to do that. But it's to be there. And I am literally just the one person there that's got this role of president. But there's 16 of us on a Queensland State Council. There's a council for every, in every state and federal council has the same. And it's our members that actually bring it and they're the voices and we're telling their stories. Yeah, so whilst I'm sitting here as the Queensland president, I, I'm just literally the spokesperson for our membership base. How many kilometres do you think you would do a year with ICPA? Oh, I don't know. I haven't. I, I actually don't. Uh, I haven't probably added them up. Um, my it's a lot, though. It's a lot. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but do you know the advantage of it is? Is there's always a road trip with those kilometres, and um, so often the road trip is actually the memory that sticks with you for so long. You know, the other day going to Julia Creek, I did a portion of it on my own and then one by one there was more that got into the car and there's another car and you've got the two way and so you chat along the way and, and you know, once you get in the car, there's no time to listen to a playlist or anything like that because we have got so many ideas and so many things to discuss. Solving the world's problems, <laughs> <Maybe we> should... <laughs> Yes, kilometre by kilometre as we go. So, you know, um, well, I go to Brisbane four times a year, but that's only 500 Ks for me. You know, this year I'll probably, you know, um, well, next year's conference is in Townsville. So that's about 1,500 kilometres from here. So, you know, they do add up over time, but they're spread out over the year. So um, I just say it's more about the road trips than the kilometres. It must also be um, a place for people to connect and make friends I mean I'm sure you've made friends with a lot of people in all sorts of places that you otherwise would never have met do you know I literally only just said that last night I have met so many fascinating and interesting people who have got the most amazing stories and without ICPA I would never have met them I would never have heard their stories um and 
and, and that's where I feel truly privileged to have been able to do that. And and I love listening to those sorts of things. And yes, and made some beautiful friends over the years and there are people otherwise that I would never have had the opportunity to. And then there's even the ones in the department um, and our stakeholders and things that we we might only see some of them once a year at a conference. But it's like a family all coming back together again and you're all there for one mutual interest. And, um, yeah, it, it's it's fantastic. And, you know, the world's made up of interesting people, but rural Australia, we're all very connected, but um, there's so many fascinating people out there. And have you found that you've met people that maybe are in your own backyard that you didn't even know lived, you know, 100 k's from you? Yes, yes, I have. And um, and now with my girls going so much further out and going into the workforce and things, and there's there's often an ICPA connection. And I always say to the girls, you just never know who you're going to meet and where there's going to be a connection. And they all say, always say, because ICPA knows everyone. <laughs> um, that's their byline for careful mum will hear. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it is. It really is interesting. And, and you know, um, when you meet those people and they might be just down the road or at the next door branch um, and then you'll see them somewhere else and you can put them into context. And um, it, it's so lovely. But it's also, it's a conversation starter and, you know, I, I am not naturally a person that would go straight up and, you know, talk to somebody. But once you've got that ICPA connection, it's so much easier to engage and, um, and to find something in common. So it's almost like a one big family. Yeah, yeah, rural Australia. <laughs> <laughs> now, Wendy, what is next for you? In an ideal world, what would you love to achieve with the ICPA? think Sammy um you know uh, to celebrate our success because do you know what everyone deserves a pat on the back and we'd had such in Queensland we'd had such a um interactive campaign for this increase with our membership base so not only is it state council that deserves to celebrate and all of our members uh, and the recipients of this increase but all of those members that also um contributed as well but I would really love for those that aren't ICPA members, once were, no longer are, I'd l- really love for that conversation to keep on expanding and the word and the message of ICPA to grow because the strength of the organisation is through our member base um, and it is a really strong, influential organisation, but we're only as strong as our members so I'd love that connectivity in there and for people to know that, you know, there is support, there's always ears. And, you know, sometimes when you're a young mum and in a new community or have been in a community but you're in this new role, you just need to find somebody with something in common and maybe an ICPA meeting is the place to go to have a cuppa and a chat. So that's something that I really would love to focus on Small schools, because that's what my experience is. That's how I was educated myself and how my girls were educated in their primary years is a really big concern of mine because there's so many demands on teachers and educating at the moment that I think it it came to the fore at our conference um, this month. And I think that is going to be something that we will have to focus on going ahead. And that's that's not just a um, a little picture. That's also a very big picture because it comes down to teacher training, respect of educators, 
and um, and then ensuring that there is going to be access to our education, even in small schools, because without a teacher, there's nobody there to be teaching. We are so fortunate to live where we live that then our children need to be as fortunate because of where we've chosen to live and giving them an education as well as the adventure of a life, a style that we can give them out here is the greatest gift. So if we can have them educated, happy and safe, how lucky are we all? Wendy's positivity is positively infectious. She's a phenomenal advocate for kids and parents living on the land. With someone like Wendy at the helm, it really does seem like most things they set out to achieve are very much so possible. 